630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Okay, I appreciate you tuning in tonight. We've had some uh, good discussion about your Edmonton Oilers in the first hour. Todd McClellan was uh, pointed as usual today. Took some calls and texts. You heard from Corey Cross, some of his memories of being an Oiler and his journey to the NHL. Don Clark, former manager of Northlands Coliseum. Uh, Man, he's a beauty. I love that when a guest ends his segment by saying, if you ever want to talk again, I got more stories. (laughs) Well, Don Clark, you're on. And Dave Lumley is now in studio, former Edmonton Oiler, won a couple of Stanley Cups with the team. Dave, thanks so much for dropping by. Hey, my pleasure, Reed. Hey, when you say that other guy's on the other side of the glass, he's really on the other side of the yes, glass. Yes, now you know he? what I'm talking I about. I know. I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I guess I should explain that, how the <laughs> studio actually works. I always say uh, Matthew Panashik or Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the glass. We're separated by a, a pane of glass. We're, we're, I don't know, 15 feet apart, but there's two rooms. Yeah, it's like two is. offices. Yes. With radio stuff. Yeah, you have to have the host by himself because, trust me, usually you you being an exception, most people don't want to be in a room with me. Uh-huh. I don't know how you do it every night by yourself. I'd, I'd be pulling my hair out. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Especially after the year the Oilers have had, and you have to talk about them all the time. Well, as I always say, uh, the job is really the same regardless of the quality of the team. That's what I think. You think? You got to talk about the team. Yeah, but you're talking about the same thing over and over, year after year. Well, what if they? What if? I mean, if you're okay winning, with it, I'm okay with it. What if they were winning five Stanley Cups in seven years? Wouldn't be that? That be the same? Thing wouldn't that be year? a lot easier? I'd say that'd be a hell of a lot know, easier. You know what? I'm not the one being interviewed, but I'll answer your question. I don't know. I don't know if it would be easier. I, I just. I've been I, in here five minutes, and you're ticking me off already. <laughs> <laughs> arguing, arguing right from the get-go. <laughs> Go ahead, carry well, on. No, no, one, no one wants to disagree for an hour. Uh, I, I just, I just think it's, it's not. I, I can't control how the team plays. Certainly, you agree with that. Well, of course. So, I, I have to talk about the team as intelligently as I can, based on my own observations and what the players and the coaches are telling me. So, the result of the game shouldn't impact how I approach doing that. That's how I. That's how I look. No, my point was that it's the losing has gone on for so long. I mean, how how can you answer the same question? What are you going to do? What are the Oilers going to do? What are they going to do? You know, what would you, I'm sick of it. I get asked all the time, Lumber. What would you do? And I'm, do you have an hour? So what would you do? Oh, geez, don't <laughs> get me going. That's why. I, that's one of the. It's a selfish reason that I. The reason I want them to do better, so I won't be asked that all the time. Well, you get it every night from everybody. And, uh, well, you know what it feels like. Uh, do you like what McClellan does? I mean, when you hear McClellan talk, do you think, okay, good, that's how I want a coach to deliver, or do you think uh, that's too much? I think it's exactly what they needed for a long time. One of those guys that would, you know, hey, it doesn't matter what your stature is on the team. If you're not playing well, get to the end of the bench. He did it with Taylor Hall one time. Loved it. I loved it. And then, of course, he goes and talks to him. But I think, um, and I said it last year when they hired Torelli and uh, Bob Nicholson especially and McClellan as coach, at least they look like they're a professionally run organization now. Like I, I really believe that. I think they're, on the, they're headed in the right direction, but it's a long ways to get to that direction. Well, that's the thing, right? You're still, you're still 30th. And the point I made was it was great when they passed last year's point total and win total, but ultimately you're not competing against last year's team. 
you're competing against the rest of the NHL. Well, exactly. I mean, we're still oh, it's the last again. I they are last. I think the if, Leafs have they lost yet, but they are losing. So if we win that number one lottery pick again, someone in Toronto will nuke us. <laughs> it'll be it'll be craziness. Four-two uh, Panthers leading Toronto. So the Leafs and the Oilers will still be tied, and the Leafs will just have one uh, one game in hand. And I that's mean, without Kadri, right? Yeah. Well, right. You guys. So they're yeah. a true American Hockey League team now. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why. And look, if this is the thing. So, and well, here's here's the one thing that does frustrate a little bit, right? The the Oilers are bad, but there are other bad teams in the NHL. And I'm allowed to say that or have guests on, but there all there are always people who are like, well, how can you say that about the Leafs when the Oilers are bad? Well, I'm allowed to say other teams are bad. Oh, this is going on in about ten other cities <laughs> yeah, right exactly. now. The same thing that's going on in this room is going fr- on elsewhere. Yeah, there's a lot of frustrated. You know, there's probably already baseball fans who are writing off their teams because they lost yesterday and they're <laughs> furious. But the, the, the Leafs, I don't really know what they're building around quite yet. I mean, they have Morgan Riley, but I think they're going to build around whoever they draft, and I guess they, they take a run at Stamkos, who might not play again this year. Yeah, that's sad, huh? He's such a good player. And to get something as rare as that, uh, you know, blood clot, right? Yeah. Yeah, strange. So when you, I mean, you, you mentioned you get frustrated people <laughs> asking you the question. Do you get... What's your level of involvement in terms of of watching the team? Are you still watching every game, or have you gotten frustrated, or 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 some ex players retire and say, you know what, I like playing the game, but but I don't like watching it. You know, I enjoy when, especially when they got McDavid. Like the last few years, I was, you know, I watched for the first month or two of the season, and then they're out of it and booking tea times by Christmas. That was really disappointing. And of course, talk radio here. Oh yeah, we're on the way up. Everybody, we got the this player is going to be great, and that player is going to be great. The third line. You know, on and on. We're so, geez. <laughs> we just think, plan a parade. And it just it hasn't happened. So what's, uh, do you think it's like what, misidentification of talent, coaching, underachieving? Let's, well, I guess it's all of the above if you're last. But well, Now you're <laughs> asking me that question I don't want to be asked. Because well, we do where do you start? I mean, 30 it's, seconds on it. it's such a mess. I mean, Shirelli must, when he came in and evaluated all the players and saw that, all, we got a bunch of guys that just in, in air quotes, I always say this, in air quotes, they just play hockey. You know who else just plays hockey? Beer league guys. You know, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I got to go play hockey. They skate well, they shoot well, they pass well, but they they don't do any of the other little things you have to do to win games. And, and especially, they don't play the kind of hockey you need to in the playoffs. And I, just, I don't think it's in their DNA, a lot of the guys, you know, it's just, it's not their fault. This is the way they were, they played all their lives and they were successful and uh, this is the team that drafted them. They're playing the style of hockey that they played that got them here, but it's not going to work, especially in the Western Conference. You know, the one thing I always, uh, I've really been watching for this year especially, but can a guy impact the game if his name's not on the score sheet? Because those types of guys, eventually they will get on the score sheet, but, you know, there's a lot to be said for, okay, Dave, there's the puck. It's four feet away from both of us. We're going to get there at the same time. Who's going to get it? 60% 60% of the time. You know, you can't get it 100% of the time, no matter what. But that, that's the, that's what I watch for. Well, I spoke about DNA. I, I played out in Hinton with, <laughs> with the Hanson brothers. And the other team was embarrassing us. And you've either got it in your DNA or not. Are you just going to take it laying down? I mean, I ended up hacking a few guys and just letting them know, hey, if you're going to embarrass me, you're going to pay a little price, even, you know, in this kind of hockey. If you're being embarrassed and you're in last place again, wouldn't you want to do something about it? Do you take it laying down every game? Go punch a guy in the face. Go run the goalie. I know I know. times have changed. But do something to get the other team off their game if you're not going to change your game. So 
was that in your DNA as a player as soon as you became an NHL or as soon as you became a pro? Did you have to work yourself into that a little bit and realize, all right, this is how I have to survive? I moved a little while ago and I was going through some boxes of, and I found an old program of myself and like when I was 14 years old. And the description of me in that program is exactly the description that I had when I played for the Oilers. You know, kind of a rugged, don't take right. no, any prisoners, you know, uh, never never get one-upped, so to speak, and a pot stirrer, which is code for, you know what. <laughs> right. Well, absolutely. Well, disturber. Uh, yes, for you were a but disturber. Who was only needed if things were go- weren't going your way. So how did you learn when it was appropriate and when it wasn't, though? Because here's the thing. Everybody wants that guy, right, that will be a disturber. No one wants that guy, though, who puts you shorthanded three times a game because he does that. Well, more often than not, that guy knows when to do it himself. But, you know, I remember Kevin Lowson just giving me a little nudge. Hey, Lummer, let's get her going. And that was, again, code. And I remember uh, the reunion, the, the Stanley Cup reunion. That was For the, last year. The one like, in 2014. Like, say, yeah. September or October yeah. of last year, right? Kenny Linsman and I were sitting in a box together. And there was so much talk about how you know the other players are going to play well because this you know these historical team they're all in the building well they, they lost like five two yeah exactly Kenny Linsman says to me Lummer you know what this team needs like you or me I said well I can I can see why me because I'm the goal scorer but <laughs> 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 but he was making a pretty good point you know somebody just goes stir the pot out there if things aren't going your way yeah now how many here's the question because I I I, I agree with you oh but yeah, for once, but I also think like you can't go, you can't go overboard. Like there's a time where like what 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 do you one guy on each line these days, two guys on the roster. Well, look at Zach Cassian. Mm-hmm. You know he's but, but he's, he's done big... some he's taken some penalties he shouldn't have, Dave. I would never have taken those. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But I like him just because he looks like he's got that one screw that's just a little bit loose. You know what I mean? And that can that can work with other a team's minds. Kevin McClellan came from Pittsburgh in a trade. And after about a week, he comes up to me and says, Lummer, geez, you're not a bad guy. I go, what are you talking about? He says, in Pittsburgh, we all thought you were crazy. Like, we thought you would just swing it, like, spear us in the face or take our heads off. We thought you were Looney Tunes. And I'm thinking, well, that's great. If I'm in their heads, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Did anybody ever scare you a bit in the NHL or make you think, okay, this guy's nuts, I might have to be careful? I did a thing in Prince Albert for uh, the hometown hockey thing yeah. last weekend. Wendell Clark was there. And I was telling him the story. We were on stage, and I said, I remember my first game against you. When the face-off's in the other end, you know, you put a winger in behind the centerman, hoping the centerman wins the draw. Right. Boom, you get the free shot. The puck drops, and I look up, and there's Wendell Clark coming right through the slot. He's already got his gloves off and his sticks on the ice. And he's coming out to beat me up. I said, what was that all about? He says, I can't remember, but I didn't like you, obviously. So that one, that one scared me a little bit when a guy's going to come after you for no reason. You know, an offensive zone face. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't want to score. I just want to beat up Dave Lomley. I don't think anybody really scared me. The, the games against Calgary, especially down in the old corral down there. I, I, I honestly thought somebody might get killed. I mean, yeah. it was so dirty. It was so deadly. But the, uh, the toughest team was going into Boston against the Boston Bruins. At one time, they had, their left wingers were Stan Jonathan, Al Secord, and John Winsink. You got no time off. Really? You know, Stan Jonathan separated my shoulder and yeah. the other two. Now, how much were... of it was dirty, though? Or was it just, they were just physical but but clean and hard? Well. Or were they over the line? Yeah, they were a little bit over the line. Yeah. Um, there was one time in Calgary, you know, back to Calgary again. 
there was a, an icing call, and Tim Hunter and I, and I, it's you know a lot of it's my fault. I should have been paying attention. There was only one referee at the time. Right. So there's an icing call, and Tim Hunter is about three feet to my left. We're all we're gliding down through center ice, and I out of the corner of my eye, I kind of saw him look, t- turn to look at the ref. The ref was talking to Slats on the bench, and all of a sudden, whoop! I got a stick right across the face. You know, he cut me for seven stitches. Now I got to ask you about that because I we you know what and. I mean, again, I gotta, I gotta have an opinion on everything, right? So, I, f- I find when it comes to the suspensions, I always think that stick fouls should be more penalized than a fight or a, a hard body check gone wrong. Like, did it bother you more if a guy did something to you with a stick as opposed to wanting to fight you or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah, way worse. You know, if a guy's trying to fight me, I was strong enough to just hang on. If you know, if he was way tougher or a better fighter, just hang on. You know, bear hug him. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was no, no. This is going way back to Toronto. We, uh, a, fr- a friend of mine's dad, we we had a midget team, and uh, he had bought a junior B franchise, and he just moved our whole midget team up there. So we were all like fourteen, fifteen years old, playing against guys who were twenty and twenty-one. And my first game, I got in a fight with a guy. I found out he's twenty years old. He's got me by a hundred pounds, and he's got me down on the ice like instantly. And I can hear my mom up in the crowd, roll them over, David, roll them over. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm guessing man, you didn't quite have the strength. There's that a tangent for you. That's off topic right there. <laughs> Sorry. We've got to take a break. Dave Lumley is in studio. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments for Dave, you're welcome to text 630-630. This is Inside Sports on 630-CHED. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Dave Longley, former Edmonton Oiler, is in studio. In the house. In the house, as the kids like to say. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for keeping me hip. <laughs> I'm so cool. Uh, all right, so uh, where were we? We were a lot of places. My mom, roll them over, mom, David, mom, roll them over. Your mom was giving you fighting advice. <laughs> with, <laughs> with a cowbell behind the bench. Put David on, now, put you, David on. Did you say something to your mom after the game? Like, please don't you say that. Well, I said it a million times. She never listened. <laughs> put David on. You're like, the, let the coach coach. Yeah. Or you just didn't listen. Eh? I got less ice time with her yelling in his ear. <laughs> Figure it out, Mom. Uh, I got a text here to 630-630 who says, uh, My mother was very sick in the mid-80s fighting leukemia at the cross. Dave Lonely took the time to see her while visiting someone close to him also battling cancer. My mother was a seasoned seat holder. Loved the Oilers. She's so happy to see Dave when he stopped in to say hello. Uh, she also thought that he and B.J. McDonald had great <laughs> hair. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to brighten my mother's day at a very difficult time in her life. Uh, and this is uh, f- from Bruce in the park. So there you go, Bruce yeah. and his mother. It's such a small thing. It's so easy to do, you know. I, I'll tell the story about when I was little. I was uh, nine years old and I got hit by a car. I'm in the hospital in Toronto. Of course, my favorite team was the Toronto Maple Leafs. And... Just like what you read there, it, you know, I mean, I did that of my own volition, but lots of times after practice, somebody from the office would come down, we need a couple of guys to go sign autographs at a car dealership. 
we need a couple of guys to go visit kids in the stallery. And if you're not doing anything, you put your hand up, away you go. So I'm sure that's what Davey Keon had done. He didn't, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. So he comes into the hospital and I'm laying in bed and he gives me a stick. Merry Christmas, Dave. Get well soon. Your friend, David Keon. David Keon. Right. Number 14, of course. I wore number 14 every year that I could after that. And even when I came to Edmonton, 14 was taken by B.J. McDonald. Right. So I'm, okay, 14, 7 and 7 or 14. How about 7? Ron Chipperfield, veteran. 7, 14. 21. How about 21? Uh, Stan Weir. So, okay, what's closest to 14? So they give me number 20. All because of a visit from one NHL hockey player when I was nine years old. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, what, what, how, do you, how do you feel when you hear people from 30 years ago still remembering that you did a little something? Well, look at how old I am now. Well, good it's, point. It's, I, don't, I don't think every NHL player has to get hit by a car. No. By any means. But if they, they could just have that experience when they're young and see the effect that an NHL hockey player has on people, um, I think, it, you know, instead of on their phones all the time, signing an autograph, look at their phone, I think it would be a lot better place. Uh, now, now, flip side, did you ever have a fan uh, heckle you or be not so polite in public? Oh, come on. That's <laughs> <laughs> like one of the most hated players ever. I did a, <laughs> this is funny, I, I, uh, I did an uh, interview Calgary's last visit to Rexall. Yeah. It was, of course, on Saturday, and the uh, um, guy called me from a Calgary radio station. I think it's our sister station, And actually, I said, yeah. um, this is really nice, because normally when someone from Calgary says, I want to talk to you, that's code for I want to beat the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice. Uh, what What do you remember about uh, about joining the Oilers? Your sense of uh, you know where the team was at, and and just how good Gretzky was, and all that kind of fun stuff. Geez, it's you know we were all so young, and we everybody was new. You know, the summer before we came into the NHL, they'd flown everybody out that had a possibility of making the team, and you know I met a few guys then. Uh, <laughs> a guy named Danny Newman and myself flew out together. And we check into the Weston Hotel, and we have roommates. And his roommate is, or my roommate's B. Calligan, Brett Calligan. Right. His roommate's W. Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we didn't know either one of them. I said, isn't that that kid? He's like 12 years old or something. And I said, put Newman and I together and put Calligan with this Gretzky kid. And uh, we're like, we could have been best friends. You could, Well, maybe, like, you could have got on Gretzky's line, maybe. Well, I was once. One game. Did pretty well. One shift. No. No, I'm, jo- I'm just joking. <laughs> Come on. Signed a multi-year pact and then went back to the fourth line next year. All right. Uh, can you stay a few more minutes? I can before, stay as long as you before want Before we get Louie in. All right. A few more minutes with Dave Lumley after the 830 News. We'll talk a little bit about what is happening on uh, Wednesday and some of his best memories, his fondest memories from the old barn. Rexall Place, Northlands Coliseum when he played there. This is Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. We'll get to the scoreboard when we get back as well. Thanks for tuning in tonight. This is Oscar Cleft from, from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet. All right, having some fun tonight. Dave Lumley. In studio, Dave, thanks again for coming in. My pleasure. Did I hear Louis DeBrasque's coming in? We got Louis. Uh, he's I, on after? I, I topped, I did Louis, we're going to about 15 minutes, but I, I taped him earlier at Rexall Place. I played with him in an evening. I played with him out in Hinton on Saturday with uh, the Hanson brothers. Louis drove the whole way back in the left hand lane with his high beams on. So if anybody sees a truck out there, big pickup with a 280 pounder behind a wheel, left hand passing lane. High beams on, it's Louis DeBrusque. Now, why would Louis do that? I don't know. 
I wanted Did to punch him in the face. Well, I thought somebody was going to run us off the road. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the biggest guy you ever fought? Do you remember? Besides the kid when you were 15 and he was 20. No, but I remember fighting a, a, a guy named Yvonne Vautour. I think it was in Colorado. I didn't know he was a lefty. He had me going in a circle. Like I did about five circles. He hit me with about 20. Oh. <laughs> I was, he hit me with so many lefts to the line as I was begging for a right. Now, when you're, when, you're, when you're losing, and I'm not suggesting you lost a lot of fights, but when, you, when you're losing a fight, what are, you, what are you thinking? Just just hang on. Try to go down? Or yeah, like, just don't, don't leave the moneymaker open. <laughs> <laughs> got a little don't, don't give me any scars. Like I only got about 100 stitches in my face now. I got a surprise for you here. Right, so wow. empty netter to make it five two and eighty four. Uh, so tell like thinking you're going to score, just icing it. What was going on? Well, I do. I think people who don't know the backstory have to understand what it was about. Like we were winning four nothing in that deciding game going into the third period. Pat Lafontaine scores two goals to make it four two, and now now it's getting crazy out there. And and I think to a guy when you know I'll tell you how I got on the ice. You know after I, I tell you this story, but. Once that puck went in the net and we went up three goals, Pat LaFontaine might score two again. He's not going to score three. Right. And I've heard lots of guys say uh, on the you know over time that they were thinking the same thing. But there's a great picture of the bench when the puck went in the net. I think everybody knew. Everybody knew at that point. But what a lot of people don't know is when, when Wayne Gretzky used to come off the ice, he'd always sit in the end of the bench lots of times. And if he could have just gotten off the ice, sat down, if there was a penalty called on the other team, Gretzky would stand up, rattle the gate, you know, the bench gate, look up at Slots, Slots say, okay, Wayne, you're on. I did the same thing. When they pulled their goalie, I was at the end of the bench. I thought I should be on the ice for that last minute. So I stood up, I rattled the gate, looks at Slots, and he says, Lummer, you're on. Really? And went out and got the empty netter. <laughs> <laughs> Had you ever done that before? Never, ever, ever. What moved you to do it? You just felt you were the most I, I thought I should guy? be out there, yeah. I yeah. thought I was... You know, I was a pretty good defensive forward. I, you know, was pretty responsible on my own end. We didn't have to go out and score a goal. That was a bonus, obviously. I just thought my own mind, my my own mind, I should be out there. That that game where you won it on home ice, the Islanders had beaten you the year before. Now you're up three games to one. But even going into that game five, were, were there doubts, or was there the feeling like no, you know, we're ready? They were still the Islanders. You know, they were still the champs. Uh, well, one thing that I felt, my sister in Toronto, she wanted to fly out from Toronto for that fourth game, and I told her not to because I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I was pretty positive because we'd been playing so well, and uh, but she, she was really disappointed in me that she couldn't come out for that game. But what if? That's another thing. What if we hadn't won here in Edmonton the next tour, you know, like six and seven are in New York? Yeah, it was a two-three-two format, yeah. eighty-four and eighty-five, for that, which was which were the only two years they they did that. Uh, I mean, you you got those two Stanley Cups on uh, on home ice. Is there anything else from the old building that 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 stands out for you? Uh, a, a moment for you, or uh, you know, a Gretzky moment, or a crazy moment against? Other than Calgary? falling on my head and. <laughs> There, the what was our second year in the league when Andy Moog came up? Oh, for, uh, for 80-81, yeah. Yeah, we beat 81. Montreal Canadiens twice in Montreal's best uh, three out of five series, I guess. Yep. Yeah, we come back to Edmonton and and Steve shit, Steve shut. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Steve. <laughs> Submarined me, and I, of course, never wore a helmet. I went way up in the air, came down right in the back of my head, and I thought I'd broken my neck because my whole body went numb, 
and I was knocked out. And I remember Peter Miller, our trainer, coming and asking me my name. I didn't know my name. The guys helped me off the ice. I went and I got 11 stitches and came out and scored the empty netter in that game too to clinch it. Oh, that was my that's my strong point, I guess. Pull the goalies all the time, and I'll get 20 every year. That was shut that type of a player. No, no, it was just the way things happened. Oh, it was a, it yeah, was a, it an accident. Was, yeah. yeah, it wasn't. But that must have been yeah. terrifying for you, though. I remember Kevin Lowe was going after him, and Shetty was saying, I didn't do it. I, I, like, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> and speaking of that, our first training camp, of course, you know, we got dressed in Rexall Place. Well, the old Coliseum. But we had to go uh, play over in the uh, the Edmonton Gardens. Mm-hmm. That's where training camp was being held. I didn't know a soul in my group that morning. And we had to carry, get dressed, carry our sticks, our skates, and gloves. And uh, I see a guy walking ahead of me through the, you know, towards where the Zamboni comes out, towards the back door. And he kind of looks back and he, he holds the door for me. So we go out together. I introduce myself. I said, what's your name? He says, Kevin Lowe. Dave Lumley. First guy I met. Really? Yeah. That was a long time now, ago. Now, were you man. aware, oh, this is the guy that I had no idea who he was. No? I asked him who he played for. He said, go back Rampart. Oh, I said, I think I played with a guy named Daniel Mativier. He said, oh, yeah, I know him. I know that name. I'd never even heard of Kevin Lowe before. Wow. So we walked across the bridge, you know, over 118, yeah. and got dressed together at the old garden. That's what you have to do, eh? That's, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, Dave Lonely in studio. Uh, there was We were talking earlier on the show, and this is this comes up a lot, speaking of topics that repeat themselves when you're covering a losing team. Leadership, captaincy, all that kind of stuff. Now, personally, I, first of all, I'll ask you this, Dave. I, I believe only from my experience in, in, in interviewing athletes over the years, that there aren't a lot of Hollywood moments where a guy gets up and delivers a rousing speech or the coach comes in and throws a garbage can. I'm sure there is emotion, but it seems to me that those actual, like I call them the Hollywood moments, are, are few and far between. What, what, how do you come down on that? Well, especially these days. I mean, everybody's making so much money. I, I, I don't want to say they don't care, but, you know, somebody... Making two million is going to get up and give the guys that are making six, seven, eight crap, you know, in front of everybody else. Like I just can't see Andrew Ferris is a bad example, but you know he's a he's a mature guy. He does a lot for the city. Good guy. I just can't see him standing up and giving kids that are making six million dollars a year crap for the way they're playing and have it mean anything to them. Does that answer your question? I think you have to have somebody in the room, but it's got to be somebody that's playing. And that's and that's a good player. So and that's that's what I got back to a point I was making earlier. I mean, a lot of people have said the captain doesn't have to be your best player, has to be a reliable, hardworking player. Though, how do you? What does a captain have to be for you? Well, talk about look at Gretz leading by example. I mean, he was the best player, obviously. Look at Mark Messier, hundred percent every game. Uh, I really well, I think everybody assumes that Connor McDavid is going to be the the captain I, here. I do. I think so. I think if he hadn't gotten hurt this year, he would have been the captain next year for sure. But boy, it's just such, you talk about Hollywood moments, making him the captain for the first game in the new arena. I mean, it's got Hollywood written all over it, doesn't it? Does the, does the captain, so okay, so let's say he's not your best player. And there have been good captains that weren't necessarily the best player on the team. I mean, Jason Smith wasn't necessarily the best player on the Oilers team, but he was a very he was a good player. So what what do you want from your captain if he's not the guy that can get you a point a game? Let me ask you, how do you think Dion Phaneuf did in Toronto? I don't know. <laughs> good choice, huh? <laughs> I got you speechless. He was the captain. Yeah. How'd that work out? Well teams weren't that great he played on either. No. But were there better players on the team than him? Van uh, Reemsdyke? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Kadri's yeah. probably better. 
Yeah. There's guys that are better than him. Joffrey Lupel. But you but you gotta know you gotta be in the room. You gotta it's almost like you need the players to vote. Mm-hmm. And uh I think I don't think that's gonna happen here. I mean, who do you think is gonna be the captain? Well, if, McDav- if, if McDavid I've been wasn't year, okay, if McDavid, the next captain. But if he wasn't here, what do you do? Well if he wasn't here, we're definitely in last place the way we played this year. Yes. Well, yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, what, what it would have been we, the same team we had last year almost? Uh, except yes, for the goal I mean, Talbot. I mean, I, no, I, I think Talbot's a genuine improvement. Yes, that's what I said. Except for the goal. Okay, so you're you're on board yeah. with what how Talbot's played, despite them being in last. Yeah, but remember a couple of years ago we had Scrivens and Nicholas Foss. Well, and I can the, guarantee year, you the yeah. way they played at the end of the the season, those two boxes were checked off. Goalies, okay, we don't have to worry about them this summer. Boom, <laughs> guess what happened? See ya. Right. Oh, the, yeah, the previous year yeah. when they thought that they, they, they had They thought those that guys. was, you know, and right now, he looks good, though, doesn't he, Talbot? Yeah, I, I think like he's him. been solid. I mean, sure, has he had some off nights? Sure, where goalie doesn't. There's that darn one goal every couple of games, huh? That seems to pop in there when it shouldn't. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's been that often. One every three, four, I don't know. Yeah, well, and it goes hand in hand. I mean, right now they have one NHL defenseman, really, yeah. playing. I mean, I think Fane's a borderline player. Secker is a good defenseman. He's not a great defenseman. I think he's a good defenseman. And then you got kids and waiver pickups. And we gave away Schultz, who was going to be a Norris Trophy winner. Right? Yep. Okay, well, here's the question for you. What, what's it like for you, the, 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 the criticism that is levied against some of your former teammates for the job they did in management? Is that... Tough for you to hear them get criticized, or do you separate well, it? Well, I've got to friendship? say that the truth should never hurt. Right. If the truth hurts to do something about it. Re- am I right? Yeah. I I absolutely agree with everybody. I mean, I've said they kept firing coaches and they kept getting general managers and they kept the same players. But holy mackerel, that old boys club! I I just well, they didn't do a very good job. The proof's in the pudding. Look at the standings. How can you say yeah they did a great job? I'm good friends with the guys. Love the guys. I'll, I'll see him tomorrow and, and Wednesday, and we'll have a good time. I'm, I don't think we'll talk about the Oilers and you know the moves they made right. very often. But uh, hey, talk's cheap. Dave Lonely, what are you most looking forward to about Wednesday night? I, I think it's uh, you know we've had a reunion. We've had uh, the Glenn Sather banner raising. I'm looking forward to seeing some of those guys that we, you know, maybe played 10 games with us, got called up from the minors, like a Tommy Ralston. Right. TR is the funniest guy in the world. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Um, and there's good guys. Wayne Bianchin owes me $50. I'm hoping he's coming. From what year? <laughs> I don't know, but I saw him come out. He got called up from the minors, and he comes out of the Glenn Sather's office and, you know, fiddles around for a little bit and then comes over to me and says, Lummer, I, you know, I didn't have time to go to the bank when I had to catch the plane here at Edmonton. And, can you lend me some money? Can you lend me 50 bucks? I said, sure. Gave him 50 bucks. He had already gotten sent down. That's why he was coming out of the office. He'd gotten sent down. He took my 50 and took off. I've never seen him since. I bet he doesn't come just because he owes me $50. So I'm going to text you Thursday morning, <laughs> see if you got your money. <laughs> Dave, thanks for being so generous with your time. Incredible stories. Really great to have you on Inside Sports. Lots of fun. Anytime, Reed. That is Dave Lumley checking in tonight. It is 845. Louis DeBrusque next. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. So Dave Lumley in studio, got a text message here. Thanks, Dave, for making Reed's show interesting. Thanks, I think. Uh, Louis DeBrusque in a minute here. Quick update on the scoreboard. Kings and Canucks are tied 1-1 after 1. The Islanders ring up the Lightning 5-2. The Panthers beat the Maple Leafs 4-3. Leafs 
comeback falling short. Rangers clinch a playoff spot, beating Columbus 4-2. And the Blues fell behind 2-0 early, but beat the Coyotes 5-2. The Blue Jays won uh, 5-3 over Tampa Bay. NCAA basketball final, 12 minutes left. Close game, Villanova 49, North Carolina 46. So, yeah, Todd McClellan uh, pretty pointed with his comments Saturday night and today. I caught up with uh, former Oiler, currently with Sportsnet, Louis DeBrusque, after practice today. When you hear a coach say that, that it was a disappointing practice because they had to go back and work on work ethic stuff as opposed to strategical details. As an ex-player, how does that strike you? Well, I don't think any of the players would be surprised by that statement at all. Um, because I think they're disappointed in themselves to a certain degree. You could tell from their reactions afterwards and um, some of the things they were saying. You, you just catch yourself sometimes just not doing the things that you need to do to be successful. So, and right away Todd spoke in his, in his availability about the fact that they've been preaching this all year long. This isn't like the first day they walked in there and said, you need to work harder as a group. So that's why it's the most disappointing uh, to the coaching staff is the fact that this is the one principle that no matter how skilled you are, if you're Connor McDavid down to whoever you consider to be the 20th person on that roster each respective night, the work ethic part of it is the thing that you can bring to the table. And you can bring that to the table on a consistent basis. You can bring that to the table um, even in a bad game where things aren't bouncing or going your way, you can bring the work ethic. And, and, I, and I think that's always been the underlying message here from Todd, um, from the whole coaching staff, from Peter Shirelli up top. They want this team to be a hard team to play against. And the way you're a hard team to play against, first and foremost, is by your work ethic. You know, the, the players, and we had a lot of frustrated callers after the games. So yeah. I'm sure you can I imagine. Heard yeah, you heard some of them. And, and, and saying, how, how can the players say this time after time, yet it, yet it's not, it doesn't seem to be cor corrected? I mean, they all recognize, okay, we got killed 5 nothing, and, and we pretty much know why, but the, a lot of the fans feel over, we're hearing the same people say the same things about mm -hmm. their performance. <sighs> I, I, I agree, and I, and I ask the same question, and I guess the only thing I can do is kind of reflect back on my years playing, and there were some, there were some dark years there. There were some dark years here in Edmonton when we were one of the younger teams and we were trying to find our identity and trying to become better and live up to an expectation that was set in the 80s by a, a pretty darn good hockey club. But, you know, other areas and other teams that I've been to where we were struggling and where it just didn't seem to be coming together, it's a frustration thing. You know, so... There's a real fine line between work ethic and frustration. There really is. Uh, um, some people, when they're frustrated, they get angry and they go out and they take it out on the opposition. Some people, when they get frustrated, um, they stop moving their feet. They start thinking maybe this isn't the night. It's not going to go this way. And I guess what the, and I, I don't guess, I know what the coaching staff is trying to accomplish is to say, you know, Use that frustration to your advantage. Use that frustration to get better now for the future. Uh, and I know people don't want to hear that, but that is where it has to start. You have to be able to channel that frustration, channel the fact that you don't want to lose a game that bad, that you're going to move forward and work hard in those situations. And then when one guy does it and two guys, it's contagious as, as, as anything. And, you know, just speaking in the dressing room there with a couple people about the fact that winning is actually even more contagious. 
Losing is contagious. You know, if you ever saw the natural, you know, the, the scene where they go in, <laughs> as contagious as, you know, that, that was one of my favorite scenes where Robert Redford walks out and finally says, you know, enough's enough. But but winning is too. Winning is, uh, you know, it trickles through your lineup. Guys feel better. They feel taller. They're not frustrated. They're, they're excited to go to the rink. The fans are involved. And you just feed off of that energy. So, you know, prepare yourself now for when it starts to turn, um, you remember how bad these, these lows were. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, for me, I, I've been trying to break this down. You know, we all analyze and, and try and find the, the hidden secret. But in reality, I, I'm telling you right now, it's frustration. It's frustration of losing um, is not allowing them to clear their head and just go out there and play the game and work hard. And uh, that's the challenge right now. Uh, of this coaching staff is to get them to buy in on a daily basis. Louis DeBrus joining us on Inside Sports. All right, from a, a, a different angle, it is the final Oilers game at Rexall Place coming up on, on Wednesday. I know you were one of the alumni who was honored uh, honored earlier this year, but uh, I, I mean, the, the franchise is sort of defined by those five Stanley Cups. You were part of a different era where there were ups and downs, and uh, just, you know, you touched on a little bit. What was it like being being an Oiler during that time? Well, you know what, it was, it was it was a catch-22. It was it was amazing and awesome because you're playing in the National Hockey League, and we were just a bunch of young guys that uh, were trying to fight for our space and our time in the NHL. Uh, but you were we were definitely in the shadow of, uh, in my opinion, probably the best team that's ever that's ever played. You know that five years, six years where they won. Uh, you know, especially the back-to-back, back-to-back, um, they could have easily run the table there um, for that seven years, I think. Uh, but you know what? They they were. You know, it's pretty hard done by to find a better group of players, you know, that, that have played the game. I know people will argue with the respective teams, but, you know, Wayne Gretzky will go down as the best player that's ever played, and it's I don't see anybody ever overtaking that title. You know, that just that's just my opinion, but that's just the way it goes. So when you have that type of a player, um, it's just fantastic what other guys can do around them. Um, for me, you know, the thing that I'm most excited about, for, for this reunion is just seeing the guys, you know, seeing guys that I played with 15, 20 years ago that I haven't seen in 10 years and what are you up to, how is life going, because you spend so much time each and every day with these guys that um, it's just exciting to, to bump into them again and say, hey, what's going on? But I think it'll be a great night. Uh, I'm really excited to see, um, you know, the championship teams guys come in here and obviously the, the stars come in here, but the likes of everybody, I don't, it doesn't matter who it is, if, if you suited up and you came out to and you played for this team, you were part of its tradition, you are part of its history, and I'm just really excited to see everybody. Do you have a favorite moment in this building as a player? That's, I know that's a tough yeah. question to throw at you, but... Well, I have two. No, you know what, it's, it's really, you know, I... Um, my first game was against the Flames here, uh, the Battle of Alberta, and I, I got in a couple tilts that night, Ronnie Stern and Tim Hunter, and it was my introduction to the Battle of Alberta, and I just, I just remember um, how big emotionally the game was. You know, the, the Battle of Alberta had a different tone back then, and I really hope that you know, this young Oilers team and the Flames can kind of get rekindle that because it was just so exciting to play those games. Um, the other one was uh, the first game, the first game stepping on the ice my last year here, uh, playing in the playoffs against Dallas. Uh, we played two games in Dallas. We split. We came back in game one where we hadn't been in the playoffs in four years. Uh, it was just an absolute amazing feeling to step on that ice with people. The warm-up was full. Uh, people were screaming. You couldn't hear yourself think. It was so loud in the building. And I just remember just, just that feeling of skating around a warm-up going, wow, I mean, this is what it's all about right here. Was that the 3 nothing comeback game? 
Yeah, you know what? It was. Uh, it was. Uh, I just remember Kelly Buckberger's goal in that game. You know, that was that was the one that really stood out to me. Um, and it just, you know, it was kind of one of those things where the team just kind of got on a roll and started started rolling and firing and puck started going in and you could just feel it building right it was just like it was one of those games where we're not out of this thing we're going and I think it surprised Dallas more than anything and I think that was a real statement game in the sense that we weren't going to go away and they I, I think they knew they were probably the better team but but they knew we weren't going to go away and evidently we didn't and they won that one. That is Louis DeBrusque, Dave Lonely, Don Clark, Corey Cross also joining us on the show tonight. You also heard from McClellan, Everly, and Hall. More on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. You can get the full Todd McClellan media availability today by going there. 60-55, Villanova leading North Carolina. Five minutes left in the NCAA championship game. Next Oilers broadcast, don't forget, 2 o'clock, a special documentary on Wednesday, face-off show at 3, Oilers and the Canucks at 5. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening, Matthew Panashik. My name is Reed Wilkins. Always a pleasure. This has been Inside Sports on 630 Chad. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.